Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. This is February 18, 2014, and I'm coming to you live from the global headquarters of CAF America in Washington, D.C. We've got a big show uh, for you today, lots to cover. Uh, as always, as the announcer mentioned, this is a live call-in show, so you can call in at 347-324-3080. You also can ask questions over in the chat room. You can email your questions also to me at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start the show with page one news. And first up here in the Nonprofit Coach radio show links today, you can find those over at tedhart.com. Click on Radio Links. You'll not only find the links for today, but all the very best links for the nonprofit sector uh, going back over the last couple of years of our show. Um, first up today, you'll find when, what, and how often should you be posting to social media. Uh, this uh, comes to us some expert advice from Beth Cantor, who's the co-author of the Networked Nonprofit and has been a guest here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, you'll find in some of the uh, suggestions that she has here that she should be posting while people most likely have time to waste. She suggests 8.30 a.m., 12.30 p.m., and 5.30 p.m. as optimum times to post, and 10 p.m. being the best time to post throughout the week. So if you're not posting at those times, maybe you should take a look at that, check out the link, and other tips available from Beth Cantor over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Next up in the radio links, uh, for those of you who may be using the beginning of uh, this new year to look for a new job, uh, we're uh, providing you some expert advice from Mashable.com, and of course Mashable being one of the smartest websites on the Internet. What they're suggesting to you today are five questions you should be asking during your job interview. So uh, certainly you want to be prepared to answer the questions that are uh, coming from your potential new employer. Uh, but some of the very good questions that they suggest that are worthy of your asking, uh, what is the company culture like? What constitutes success at your organization? Who previously held this position? And see what they tell you there. Is there anything missing from my resume uh, that perhaps uh, they were looking for? That's a good question, uh, an opportunity for you to learn, but also good conversation points if you did miss something 
Uh, you can fill in the blanks there. Uh, and then make sure that you're asking the question, what comes next? What uh, is this the end of the interview process, beginning of the interview process? Where are they at? So those are all very good uh, questions uh, for you to ask if you're looking for a new position. You'll find those and other links available over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Next up here, uh, once a month we do have uh, uh, the fine folks of GuideStar.org uh, with us. And, of course, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the nonprofit coach, you're familiar with the six pillars of success for nonprofit organizations. The number one most important thing you can do to be successful online is to have a well-designed website, both available online, uh, desktop, and mobile a service easy to navigate with unique content about your organization and an easy way for people to give online. The number two most important uh, successful strategy for nonprofit organizations is a strong GuideStar strategy. Many aspects to that, and once a month uh, we have someone from GuideStar with us to help us fill in the blanks on what is a successful GuideStar strategy. And here today, Lindsay Nichols, thank you for joining us back here on The Nonprofit Coach. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having me. Great to have you back. So each month we uh, round out a little bit more about uh, what it means to be successful on GuideStar because it is the number two most important thing that nonprofits can do to be successful. So what do you have today for us that's new over at GuideStar? Love it. Thank you. And we love that you include the GuideStar Exchange um, in one of your six tips. We love it. And it's to that point that I wanted to chat about. We are putting more and more incentives for nonprofits to participate in the GuideStar Exchange, which is you know, just the platform where they can give us additional data um, in addition to what we get from the IRS already. So we now have a new partnership with Volunteer Match. And any uh, nonprofit that has received GuideStar Exchange gold or silver level of participation, they can earn deep um, discounts with Volunteer Match, and Volunteer Match helps nonprofits find volunteers to run your program. So we're actually having a webinar on March 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern with Volunteer Match and with someone at Just Give, which is um, an organization that uses Volunteer Match. And um, people and can just come give and learn how our, to set up favorite, their account. Uh, uh, just oh, Give good. is one of our favorite programs here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, folks there have been on this show many times and offer really great tips. So once again, a wonderful oh, partnership over at GuideStar. Oh, thank you. And we, you know, we do hope this will be a, a hands-on webinar where people can learn how to set up their accounts and really dive into Volunteer Match. So this, again, is free for your um, gold and silver level participation. So if you go to guystar.org slash webinars, you can find all of the webinars we have. And I wanted to mention one other upcoming webinar. On February 27th at 1 p.m., we're going to have um, – uh, great nonprofits. Their Vice President of Marketing, Tara Werner, will be with us, and she's going to help nonprofits determine how to use um, reviews you know, from non-paid stakeholders. So the people that come to your nonprofit, how to ask them to you know, give your nonprofit a review, what to do once they have given you a review, etc. And you know, it really helps people figure out what real people are saying and then to leverage that for your marketing efforts. So that's again another free webinar coming up. And if you go to guystar.org slash webinars, you can find more about it and register. That's terrific. And actually, before you go, I do want to ask you about uh, uh, one of the um, uh, sessions that you have coming up because um, it, it does have a topic related to our Page 2 expert today. So I just wanted to uh, ask you to share a little bit of information about your February 24th uh, session, which is the, uh, your, I think your very first impact call, expanding the definition yes, of transparency. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. And so, of course, you in know, our we page know, two yeah. today, just, let me just finish. I just want to say in our page two today, impact is really part of the name of the game that we're going to be hearing from uh, uh, Craig today. Um, and so I wanted to ask you more about this session that's coming up. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's the name of the game for the sector right now. I think you know, a long time ago, transparency was what all nonprofits were trying to achieve, and now it's kind of a given. You know, you have to be transparent. But GuideStar is really trying to figure out what does transparency mean. By the time, you know, we receive the, the Forms 990 from the IRS and make them public, it's almost a year later, and we know that's just not good enough for a lot of people. So we're trying to get results reporting to be timely, you know, as close to your end as possible and interactive so that there's a dialogue versus just, 
you know, a nonprofit submitting information to the IRS and then never hearing about it again, and to make it comprehensive so it's more than just finances, but to really look at a larger picture when it comes to nonprofit impact, so you know, programs, operations, a broader discussion of strategy. So these are the things that we're trying to achieve with the impact call. It's a free call on Monday the 24th at 2 p.m. Eastern, and we are going to talk about our results. GuideStar is trying to you know, walk the talk and actually give our year-end results fewer than 60 days from our year-end, make it a dialogue with the people on the call, um, you know, have it be interactive and inclusive. So it's not just our funders that's hearing about us, but anybody. You know, so anybody's um, uh, asked to attend. We'd love people on there asking questions about not only our results, but what does transparency mean. So it's, it's an important thing for us. It's our first call ever, so it's really you know, trial and error. We're going to figure out how this goes, but um, Jacob Harold, our CEO, is going to be on there talking about um, our information, and, and CFO is going to be in there talking about our financials too. So I do encourage people to come. Well, that's great. Well, bravo for, uh, for scheduling that, of course. Uh, and uh, impact is such an important uh, topic. We're going to be talking about that with our page two expert today. Lindsay, as always, thank you for joining us uh, here with the Guide Star Minute here on the Nonprofit Coach. We look forward to having you back next month. Thank you, Ted, so much. Have a great day. You bet. Take care. Uh, and we're back here on uh, page one. Of course, you will find a link directly to GuideStar over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Uh, next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, you'll find coming from the Nonprofit Quarterly, uh, they're sharing with us um, a question and providing a little bit of answer to that, our Facebook news feeds, changing the impact of nonprofit brands. Well, it certainly seems that they are. It seems that Facebook has changed its mind about brands. It's decided that users do not want to see news feeds full of updates uh, from brands like nonprofit organizations. It seems like these changes benefit most Facebook users who want to see quality content from personal friends and family as opposed to brand advertising that has begun to dominate news feeds. Uh, this, of course, can hurt uh, smaller nonprofits who have been uh, feeding information into Facebook to keep things updated. Uh, brands have established large followings on Facebook uh, and are now struggling uh, with most of these changes. Many pages with thousands of followers are reporting that their posts are now visible only 50 to 80 uh, to only 50 to 80 percent of those Facebook fans that they once had. Uh, Slate, for instance, stated that social media marketing companies ignite uh, uh, average of 689 posts from 21 different brands and discovered that in just one week, the number of people who saw posts declined by 40. So stay on top of the changes over at Facebook. Try to stay ahead of uh, how they are positioning themselves. It seems quite certain that they're, what they're trying to do is position themselves, uh, maybe not surprisingly, uh, to benefit those who are paying uh, for content as opposed to those who are making a cottage industry out of getting uh, posts on Facebook seen for free. Read about this over in the radio links at Ted Hart. Dot com. And with that, it's now time for us to get on over to page two. Craig Bita is my guest today, and he's Executive Vice President at Cone Communications. Uh, Craig draws on a wide range of experience driving per, uh, operational and strategic discipline across the corporate, nonprofit, and government sectors. This includes 11-plus years in marketing trenches at Procter & Gamble, uh, and uh, dry, he drives innovation and customer engagement on some of the world's leading brands. Craig is a former journalist with a passion for using the power of words and ideas to unlock change. And today Craig is with us uh, to talk about a very important and impressive uh, study that's been put out by Cone Communications, and it's called the Global CSR Study. Welcome here on the Nonprofit Coach, Craig Vita. Terrific. Thanks so much for having me today. And uh, Craig, it's, it's wonderful to have you uh, with us. Let, let's start off before we get into the CSR study. Uh, give us a little bit of background about Cone Communications and why the study was conducted. Absolutely. Well, thanks. Cone has been around for about 30 years, and we are part of the Omnicom Group, a global 
collection of marketing, communications, and public relations agencies. We focus on helping brands tell their stories. Uh, increasingly, that is around social impact. And so back for over two decades, the, the agency has been helping really foundational companies and nonprofits figure out you know, what it is that they're trying to do in terms of social impact and then to engage multiple groups of stakeholders from consumers to media folks to influencers to employees, full gamut. Uh, around that to drive social impact. So we really are, are about the nexus of both driving business results as well as positive societal outcomes. And for 30 years this has been uh, the focus. How does that then uh, bring you to the global CSR question? Absolutely. It's a great question. You know, the, the, the space has been evolving, and I'm certain over the, the times you've had other experts on the show uh, that, that things are really changing rapidly. And what we're seeing and what is really interesting and we'll, we'll dig into in terms of the global research is that corporate social responsibility is shifting and evolving as, as the world and all of our economies and cultures and society become more interconnected. And so what we're seeing is a groundswell among consumers, not just in the U.S. or in Europe or in other parts of the developed world where corporate social responsibility has had a and philanthropy have had a much longer track record, but we're seeing quick acceleration and interest and uptake by, by countries and people in different parts of regions all, all across the globe. So it's a really important time, particularly for global nonprofits to be thinking in, in, in global terms about CSR, multinational companies, but even companies that focus on specific markets to understand what are the unique uh, eccentricities, the unique aspects of CSR that, that different cultures and groups are experiencing as they as they evolve along a curve from more sophi- less sophisticated to more. Well, and that's certainly a trend. As my listeners know, I also serve as CEO of CAF America, CAF America. Org, uh, which is an international intermediary. We principally provide service uh, to Fortune 500 companies, foundations, and individuals uh, who wish to support international causes. And we're seeing a rapid rate of growth here at CAF America just over the last couple of years. And so this issue of impact and this in, uh, issue of global impact um, certainly um, is high on our agenda and certainly for the donor um, service folks that we provide um, assistance to, that's uh, high on their list as well. So as you um, started work on this CSR study, um, you you make it clear that that there is one thing that you consider to be abundantly clear, and it's not whether or not companies are going to be engaged in corporate social responsibility, but how they will create real and meaningful impact. So did you set out to answer that question, um, or were you intrigued by what you learned as you started the study? Well, I think we've had for, for a long time uh, an understanding that the, the space is evolving and that, that consumer expectations have been shifting. And so I think as we f- fanned out to do the global work and we interviewed people around the world, leading experts, is that we had some hypotheses based on our understanding of uh, where cause and social impact have been coming in, in terms of where the U.S. and in Europe. You know, there were some surprises, though. I think that uh, what is, has become very clear is that consumer expectations around the role of business in society have dramatically shifted. And that if you go back even just 20 years' time, there still were a, you know, a, a significant number of people, call it a, a third or perhaps a little bit more, who had a, f- a firm belief that businesses existed to make products and services and that nonprofit organizations existed to drive social impact, that businesses were building stuff, uh, the nonprofits were the ones that were, quote, saving the world. But we've seen that shift in, 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 in fewer than 25 years, where now uh, around the globe we have just 6% of consumers saying that businesses exist to make money for shareholders and are not responsible for social or environmental issues. The full balance, 94%, are, are, are firmly believing that companies need to do things and, and across a spectrum of engagement, that it's just about giving money or supporting stuff, uh, playing a limited role. But as you go along the, the spectrum, you see you know, large numbers of people, 21%, saying businesses should support social and environmental issues by donating products, services, money, or volunteering. 
uh, 29% they should support and advocate change for social and environmental issues. And then 31%, a large group, saying that businesses should absolutely change the way they operate to align with greater societal and environmental needs. And so, so it, is a, it is a really intriguing time in, in, a, in a world in which a belief that companies should be taking on social issues has moved over time from a small group of individuals to, to a largely a mainstream expectation. It, it's something that companies, leadership of companies, simply cannot ignore. Well, and, and isn't this a, I mean, there, it kind of comes full circle back to the self-interest of the, of the company. Unless I'm sort of reading this entire issue wrong, it seems to me that if you are running a company and you're selling widgets, someone has to buy those widgets. And if the communities that you're active in or the communities that you seek to, to sell to are unhealthy or not successful or you have people who are out of work or living in squalid uh, environmental situations, um, who ultimately is going to buy your product? So collectively, um, isn't this part of what's driving uh, corporations to sort of wake up and realize that they exist in a community, in a society, and if that society isn't healthy and successful, they can't be? I think you're, you're absolutely right about that. I think the, the challenge even within, at that level is for uh, conceptually, yes, societies must be healthy, but I think what is, is really occurring at a more discrete level is when you're seeing the uh, individual leaders within companies, the head of HR, the head of safety and security, the heads of product supply and product development, the, the people who own the supply chain, the folks who are running the philanthropies, understanding is that, is that you have to literally service the needs of your community. Uh, what, what we've seen over time, and not to sound like an economist, but externalities, the things, the, the impacts that businesses were having on the world for many, many years were just things that went up the the, the smokestack or the impact of a community that a company was having on a community were things that were not necessarily visible. But what we're seeing is that now those externalities are becoming things that companies are going to need to deal with on an ongoing basis. And you're seeing companies say, this is about business, that we can't afford to waste things. Uh, if your manufacturing process is inefficient and you're paying for raw materials and you're throwing a certain percentage of them away, and your competition isn't. Your competition has found a way to either use them in a zero-waste factory or to sell them to a, another, someone else's value chain. For example, Procter & Gamble selling some of the trimmings or the materials from when it makes Pampers to mattress manufacturers. So they've turned something which they were paying for which was and then paying to, to, to have disposed of is now becoming a source of revenue for the company. And so I think that there is a, 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 an increasing understanding that CSR is mainstreaming as a core business strategy, not as a nice-to-have, that you can't waste things, you can't have impacts on your communities, you can't make choices that consumers will view as, as, as non-productive to their local local community, to their nation, or even to the world, uh, and continue to, to, to go further along. This is particularly important for younger generations as well, uh, which is also driving a key piece of it. So you're absolutely right. It's becoming something that's un, unavoidable, that, that, that businesses absolutely just must deal with and find smart, efficient ways, not just to comply, but to view it as a source of advantage and innovation for the business. That, that's really where, where companies are at. Well, so, so we're, we've, we've spoken successfully about the uh, change in mindset uh, in many corporations, unfortunately, as you and I both know, not all right. uh, corporations, and, and a, a great deal of damage and destruction still being created uh, by those who are, are not yet enlightened or, or choose to ignore facts and science. Um, but when we move beyond that, and for the focus of, of this particular show and the audience that we have here, Think of the smart, enlightened nonprofit executive out there. How do they successfully maneuver within this changing corporate culture? Well, it's an absolutely terrific question. It was one I was hoping we would get to quickly, uh, get, get right to, is that the reason for talking about the fact that consumers are expecting this and people around the world are, are demanding this and that companies to some degree, are responding. Call it a, a group of leaders that are leading the field, a group of folks kind of bumping along in the middle, and then, to your point, some folks who need to, to work on it. But the reason that's relevant to nonprofits is that nonprofits play an increasingly important role in this picture. 
that nonprofits are the organizations that can deliver the boots on the ground, the, the, the literal societal impact that can be uh, created when companies take their philanthropic giving or, to some degree, in, in other cases, manage their supply chains or their business activities in a way to deliver positive outcomes. And so it's, what's, what's, it's an important time for nonprofits because it's for them to identify, you know, how can I help company X, Y, or Z uh, that's got a, a stated interest in my interest area. How might I create proactive solutions that would enable that large company or small company or local company to, to drive its CSR goals that they have publicly committed to through their CSR reporting? And so, so that's, that's the world we're in now, a world in which companies are taking commitments, making commitments, they're taking stands on issues and putting themselves on the hook for them. And now the question is, well, how do they do that? Well, in most cases, they do need... Uh, partners, either social enterprises or nonprofits or, or fellow business partners, uh, to come forward and identify opportunities. You know, I'll share a brief anecdote. At a, a, a large corporate uh, person working in the philanthropic side of a company, saying, you know, the line of people waiting for to talk to me has grown longer with the economic conditions. The amount of money I have is is I'll just call it the same. It's there's pressure to make it less. Uh, but I, and I have all of those resources already allocated. I'm already committed to all these different activities. What I need is for folks to come in, nonprofit leaders, and say, hey, I've read your CSR report. I've listened to your last investor's call. I've went into a few of your stores or I've tried your products. And, and here's how I think my nonprofit can help you achieve your impact objectives. And, and let me show you what, 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 how we can support you and what you do. And, and what that individual said is that that's a differentiator. There's only about 10 or 15% of nonprofits that will walk in the door with that mind frame selling against their capabilities and how they can be a good partner to someone versus just talking about the work that they do and the programs they've got and all of their social impact objectives. And so it's a, just a little bit of a twist, but it's a, it's a sense of reality of the environment we're in and how nonprofit partners can play an absolutely critical role in providing the authenticity and the real results that, that companies are looking for and that their consumers are demanding of them. Yeah, and, and I think you've, you've raised such a, a, an extremely important point that I've been um, you know, mentioning here on this, uh, this show for better part of a year is the, what I consider to be the shifting tide of the value that nonprofits have uh, in the marketplace today. And smart managers of nonprofit organizations have to understand that literally the market has changed, and if they don't get up to speed, many nonprofits are going to become obsolete. And my reason for saying that is we've moved beyond the we're a good cause, you ought to support us because we do good things. Um, we, you know, We're not necessarily measuring those good things, but we know there are needs and we're out there trying to do the best job that we can. Um, that nonprofits really have to show that impact. They have to be able to understand their own core business, be able to measure what it is that they do. So the, the point that I'm putting out there is where you said 10 to 15% of nonprofit executives may come to these corporations understanding uh, the value that they bring to meeting these challenges. Over time, um, do you share the concern that nonprofit organizations who don't understand their own value or do not understand their own impact will, in fact, become obsolete? You know, I think you raise a terrific point and I'd love to delve into it in terms of measurement and on, uh, on the first page when there were some ideas being discussed. And I think there is such pressure to measure and such pressure to deliver results that that by itself is creating some uh, challenges for nonprofits. It's almost like it becomes a, a goal in itself. And so I think it's about finding the right balance in terms of measurement is, as, a, as, a, as a point. But I think absolutely agree with you. I think the, the warning signs are there for, uh, for, for, for nonprofit organizations, that there are brands that, that are increasingly going it alone, that brands that are that, that are and companies that are talking about their commitments to social impact and, and really not emphasizing their nonprofit partners or in some cases not really even working with them, just finding direct ways to leverage their resources and assets to drive impact and, and, and frankly getting more more of the credit for it. And so I think that that quest for, for relevance is, is absolutely there and how can you meet your constituents' needs and show the fact that you are delivering value and you're doing it in a way that's more efficient or more appealing or more attractive uh, than other organizations. So, so I I think that's an absolutely critical point. I, you know, I've heard a few leadership nonprofit folks lately say a few things which really struck me. You know, one, the CMO of a large uh, nonprofit over 70 years old say, 
you know, 501c3 is a tax structure. You know, we are running a business here, folks. We are we we create products, we create services, we have people that that rely on us, we have consumers, uh, and we make stuff and we make stuff happen. And if anyone has any behaviors that they think are determined by the fact that our tax structure exists, please please come see me because uh, what I want us to make sure is that we're thinking about. You know, operating with the discipline of an organization that has specific folks in mind, that's delivering specific things at a high rate of efficiency so that we can meet the needs of our, of our funders and our stakeholders. And so I think there is a, a dawning sense of, of a change of foot. Another leading nonprofit, uh, the CEO recently said, you know, I, I'm not sure if we're going to be a nonprofit in 15 years, or, or if we are, maybe there's a a for-profit piece that's affiliated with us or a social venture. I'm, not concern, I'm less concerned about the structure. I'm more concerned about the goals that we have and the, the impact that we're trying to have in the world. So I, I think you're absolutely right for, for organizations that, that aren't thinking this way and that are, that are in a world where dollars flowed from philanthropists or funders or uh, to, to good causes or to good nonprofits, that there is an increased sense of a need to compete, a need to show results, and a need to really drive towards more efficient outcomes that, that will impact nonprofits as, as you just described and, and when we're in a in a world where even even if it's a few and I think we both would agree that, that it's relatively few but I my concern is that it may grow if the nonprofit sector doesn't um, start understanding the need to to change and to keep up is the number of not of for-profits that are establishing programs of true social impact and value without nonprofit partners. And I think part of the reason, and, and obviously we could delve into you know, the, the multitude of reasons why that might be the case, but I think in some instances it's because they don't feel that they can find an adequate nonprofit partner who can actually be a partner and that the efficiency of providing that true value to the community may actually be more efficient uh, managed through the corporate structure. And so when you see that, which is, which is a complete sea change, because as you started out, you said, you know, there, there, there used to be sort of this, this very uh, distinct um, line between, you know, what nonprofits did, and they, they were sort of the softer side, and the accountability didn't have to be there because they were just doing good uh, work for, for important causes. And corporations were the ones that, you know, watched the figures and managed and, and, and uh, had the, the bottom line mentality. And I'm not, I'm not one of the advocates that says, all nonprofits must become more corporate-like. Mm -hmm. But in, in a world where those kinds of partnerships are, are important, you either can step up to the plate and be a good, strong partner, or you can't. Yes, I concur. And, and, and so I, I live just right there with you in that nonprofits are, are, are an amazing category of organizations in many cases are doing phenomenal work and there are great examples of leadership and efficiency that frankly the corporate sector could learn from many from many nonprofits so it's not a you know a one way valve here i think it's a it's taking the best of across sectors i, I think that what nonprofits that are seeing the opportunity are realizing is that despite all the things I spoke about, the idea of 94% of consumers expecting companies to do all this stuff and the, the expectations that are on and this groundswell of CSR effort that's happening, there's something that I call the CSR gap, which is that there really is a very small minority of people who believe that companies have actually made a significant positive impact on social and environmental issues. So if you take that 94% expect companies to do stuff, there's only about 16% of consumers that say companies have made a positive impact and that that individuals believe that they can make an impact through the decisions they're making. So, so take that as, a, as the opportunity to say if you are a nonprofit and you see this groundswell of action and this des incredible desire for, for organizations in the corporate, through the corporate lens to, 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 take change, to make change happen, then what is the role of the nonprofit organization and how can they be the ones that lead the thinking and help companies close this CSR gap, help them redirect their efforts in ways that are productive. So, so I think you're absolutely right. It is a time to, to, to take stock of the environment and, and, and find ways that you can offer uh, solutions. One quick thought, you know, we are, are frequently in the work I do here at the agency as we seek to identify issue areas and potential nonprofit partners for major corporations, we're often sorting uh, at times, based on specific client needs, nonprofits into two piles in an issue space. One, organizations that have turnkey employee engagement solutions, and the second pile is organizations that don't. Uh, and, and the corporate partners are saying, we, we really don't even want to talk to the ones that aren't 
having and providing are, are able to deliver ways that we can engage our employees because they're such a critical piece of the picture. And so, so the, 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 the challenge out there to, to nonprofits, how are you coming with potential solutions to engage your corporate partners and to, to mobilize their workforce uh, against these social issues? And so that's and a part. And it's part of understanding what you need to bring to the table because I, you know, I, I'm thinking of you know a few years ago where you know the biggest issue was you know what needs to be in your proposal and how do you write a proposal what needs to be in your budget, and the, the entire concept of corporate support has changed so considerably to the realm that you're talking about in terms of talk about partnerships, not just partnerships with a corporation, but, you know, are you partnering with other nonprofits? What kind of efficiency are you creating by developing that particular concept as opposed to give me money and I promise to go do good work with it? Right, exactly right. You know, and, and it's deeply rooted in a, in a consumer mindset around impact. You know, we have recent research which shows that for companies as well as nonprofits, just organizations uh, that that consumers are more, much more likely to support organizations that actually talk publicly about results, that, that are able to tell stories around real impact and make it relevant to individuals versus just talking about their lofty goals or their desire to uh, make a change. And so that, that number is it, it's two to three times difference in terms of where the consumer mindset is today about you know, feel-good uh, aspirations versus real substantive impact, and that is uh, an absolute driving mind frame that has been certainly cemented over the last few years, economic instability. But, that, but that's a, a real question that, that any organization needs to be asking itself. What, what kind of impact are we having? How can we, how can we break it down in a way that's relevant to folks uh, and engage them emotionally, our heads and hearts, around, around the, uh, what, where, where their support is going? Craig, absolutely fascinating uh, discussion today, and of course you're uh, you're bringing up so many very important topics. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to ask you uh, to please share with our listening audience uh, today what you think the role of the slow economic recovery has been in changing these dynamics and making uh, this uh, an important topic for all smart nonprofit managers to tackle. And we'll be right back after this break. Just a program reminder here on the Nonprofit Coach. Next week we will be back live here on February 25th with Gail Perry. Gail Perry is one of our top-rated shows uh, always each year on the Nonprofit Coach, and she's going to be, of course, talking to us about Fired Up Fundraising. So don't miss Gail Perry next week here on the Nonprofit Coach. After that, on March 4th, uh, Philip King will be here, one of the foremost experts in mobile and online fundraising, uh, absolute expert in being able to read analytics and understand how you can best position at the best price point your online and mobile strategy. Following that is probably one of the most important shows here on the Nonprofit Coach each year, and that's our anniversary show. So please uh, mark in big red letters on your calendar, March 11th, of course, always at 12 noon Eastern here on the Nonprofit Profit Coach. That is our big fourth anniversary show on March 11th. So make sure that you're uh, joining us uh, for the next several shows here on the Nonprofit Coach, and make sure that you come and join us on uh, the big exciting anniversary show where we bring you some of the top voices in the nonprofit sector from the prior year. Uh, And with that, we're going to have a quick message from Google Keep. Life Life gets busy. Wouldn't it be nice to have a central place where you could save what's on your mind? With Google Keep, you can stay on top of your world by quickly and easily organizing everything you want to remember. No matter where you are, finalize door list for Thursday's gig. So when you find inspiration, you can file away your ideas. And Google Keep stores them safely across all your devices. And when the time comes, you'll have everything covered. Save what's on your mind. Google Keep. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on Radio Link. 
If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're back here live with Craig Bita from Cone Communications. Fascinating discussion uh, today about the shifting nonprofit world and how nonprofits can successfully partner uh, with corporations. Uh, Craig, we're back here, and I'm just wondering if you can reflect on uh, what you believe the role of the, uh, the, the Great Recession, if you will, 2008-2009, and the type of recovery that we've had uh, since then up here to 2014. How has that affected this shift and change? You know, it's a terrific, terrific question, question, and I think, and we're, I think we're, still we're still figuring out the, out the, the answer, answer to that. that. I'm sorry, I think sorry, we have a little bit of an echo going. Echo going. I, I, we're good on this end, so okay, go right great. ahead. Great. Terrific, thanks. Yeah, yeah certainly yeah, what we, we saw in the early years, years of the recovery, of the recovery was, was that, that consumer, consumer expectations, expectations were that companies, companies would actually, actually do more. And so at a moment in which more pressure was on companies to do their thing, that the consumer response was, Now's not now the time not the to take your foot off the gas. Off the gas. And so there was an there was opportunity, opportunity at that time, that time for nonprofits, nonprofits to come to companies with solutions and say, hey, here's how we're going to get through this together and, and bridge that. I think that I think that, that frame has frame continued, has continued to, to, to persist. I think that there is a, a new normal that as people have begun to realize that time is, is taking it, that the recovery is taking its time, that they don't expect companies or nonprofits to let up. In fact, Social issues are, are more pressing than they were when we, we all got into this. And so I think it has elevated a, a certain uh, visibility of specific issues. One thing I would add is that as we looked across the globe and looked at the one issue that consumers most want companies to address, it was by far economic development as defined as investing in communities through people, job creation, and infrastructure. And that other issues that you might think would be at the top of the list or near the top of the list, things like education or health, uh, the environment, uh, were much, much lower in terms of the one issue that you would want people to address. So what does that mean? It means that an economic development is on everyone's mind. It means that uh, nonprofits that focus on other issue areas need to perhaps think about the work that they do through the lens of economic opportunity. And we've seen even environmental uh, organizations, we've seen health and human rights organizations think about the, you know, the lost potential of uh, another issue and how that intersects. And so, so it has really cemented that, and I suspect we'll continue to see that, that economic development and the opportunities as a big key driving issue that is relevant to consumers' minds moving forward. And I think of, a, of an example about three years ago working with a couple of clients, and it was very stark for me. Uh, just a, a few weeks apart, I, I was working with uh, one nonprofit client who was so good at measuring the impact of their work that they literally could share with funders the impact of funding helping get a child off from the street um, and tracking that all the way through to understanding the impact of reduce in crime, reduce in health care costs, um, increase in uh, productivity uh, for youth that are in that program, that they literally could share the economic impact of that kind of intervention and in, in, in helping uh, sort of a lost child no longer be lost um, and how impressive that was. Um, to just a few weeks later, um, working with a nonprofit that was struggling with reduction of funding because they were so good. They were just really good people and they really cared and they had an important cause, but they were having trouble finding uh, funding, but they could not in any way articulate um, any value to the money other than they could pay their budget. Yeah, it's, a, it's an absolutely it's strong, strong point, and it, and it really relates to another aspect of this question you asked around economic development, which is, so how does, how does a nonprofit sail through these unsteady seas? And certainly measurement is a critical aspect of it, as you described, and being able to tell these relevant stories, but also the power of the brand and the understanding of who you are, what you stand for, what you, you can uniquely provide in terms of solutions to the world, and then implicitly or overtly why you're better than the other options and the other alternatives, and then really communicating about that long tail of impact. 
you know, we know that from youth services organizations that, you know, if kids get out on the streets for whatever reason, there's a 24-hour window or 48-hour window in which you can intervene and, and really change the trajectory of a young person's life and prevent a huge societal cost, you know, as, as the implications of what might happen to that individual uh, play out. Education, critical, call it fault lines, you know, a nonprofit leader described it to me recently where they know that if they focus their efforts, uh, it, can, it can deliver a huge return on investment in terms of, of what the, the input is versus the output. So you're, so you're absolutely right. It requires crisper thinking about who you are, what you do, and then how you can deliver the results and a return on investment for your, for your funders. Craig, in your report, you, um, you state that 91% of global consumers are likely to switch brands to one associated with a good cause, given comparable price and quality. That's a huge number, one that seems like it, it, it cannot be ignored by corporations that are looking to differentiate themselves in the marketplace. Does that require strong nonprofit NGO partners, um, or is, is that a call for nonprofits to create their own good cause? Well, it's a, it's a really, really interesting question, question. and I think and there, there are there some, some nonprofit, nonprofit brands, brands that, 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 that have invested and created that 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 credentialing power that can, that can stand alone. I think what we would argue is that the true symbiotic relationship happens is when you unlock the power of both. You know, the Pampers example with UNICEF around ending neonatal tetanus is a great example where the power of the Pampers brand and the scale and reach that that multi-billion dollar global enterprise has uh, together, together with the, with scale, the scale and scope of the, the leading presence, presence of UNICEF, UNICEF has created a, a one-two one punch that is likely going to end that disease you know, within our lifetimes. And so, so it's a question, question of you know, how big you are, you are your ambition, your ambition scale, scale, and then, and then, and then how, how can you how leverage, leverage partners, partners, corporate or non, to drive it. Uh, there's no, there's no, no rule here, and there are great examples of nonprofit brands building credentialing and credibility to the degree that corporate partners want to be partnering with them. I mean, that's, that's part of this as well, and often what I advise nonprofit clients is know your own worth. You know, don't sell yourself short. Recognize that the corporate entities absolutely desire and need to to be able to deliver this uh, impact and that you are playing a critical role in that. The question is how you can help that corporate partner drive it and deliver it. And in some cases, you may be better off driving it alone, you know, not, not relying on a corporate partner. So how do our, my listeners today uh, position themselves? I wanted to just ask you if you're, um, sh- uh, uh, if you're familiar with the, the concept of shared value. Absolutely, yeah. And what your thoughts are on that as a distinct strategy or is it along a spectrum? You know, I think that um, terms and a way, frameworks, ways of thinking about the space evolve and come and go. I think the, the notion of shared value is obviously a very powerful one. You know, it comes out of a strong pedigree with Porter and, and the FSG work. And so I think what it, it has really encouraged people to think about is, is Looking at this not from a, just from one angle, but to understand that there are opportunities that can be created and mutual wins when people approach the discussion through that lens and in that context. And so in that, in that sense, I think it has contributed a lot to the field and will continue to, and it really is bringing this sense of mutuality and interdependence to the table, and I think has, has really triggered a lot of really robust discussions uh, that may not have been happening in, in, some, in some quarters before. So, yeah, I think it, it really reinforces many of the things we've been talking about. So for nonprofit partners, it's that how do I walk in somebody else's shoes? What role can I play? In, 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 a, in, a, in a complex, complex set, of set of relationships around a specific around issue. issue. I think we've I think learned we've as well that, that issues are hard. hard. It sounds silly, silly but, but that many of, many of the most important pressing societal issues, issues are not going to be solved by either one nonprofit or one company, and that it requires interdependency. So that's really the next place where CSR is going. It's already there around systems and coalitions and and really, really large, large groups, groups of, of stakeholders, stakeholders working, working together, together to solve problems. problems. And that's certainly it's at the heart of shared value. value right. And, and where is that balance? Because I think, you know, looking at it from the nonprofit sector, part of the balance concern uh, might be uh, 
undue or too much influence from the corporation um, in the mission of the organization, and when do you give up so much control that you are, in fact, just an arm of a corporation? Yeah. You know, this yeah, is, this I think, is, I the, think anxiety the anxiety that many, that many nonprofits have, have, is that they're going to end up selling themselves out to a specific company and, and ending up uh, losing their integrity or losing their, their issues. And I think that is where the relationships matter, where the commitments to specific outcomes exist. We've seen some leading companies take a, an approach of really trying to embody joint value creation and creating strategic planning that says, here's what we're going to do, here's what you're going to do. Uh, if we both achieve this goal, then we're going to build in a multiplier to the relationship. You know, so there, it really is being accountable, mutually accountable to outcomes. Uh, and, and really not entering into anything that if, you're, if your spidey sense is tingling, it's probably tingling for a reason. Uh, and so I would, I would say that there's enough going on in this space, enough opportunities that nonprofits should be very careful about you know, choosing, their, choosing their partners wisely and then really working with them to, to get to the outcomes that they're trying to get to. And, of course, one of the concerns is that nonprofits make these decisions out of financial concern and need and don't always feel that they have the luxury uh, to step back and choose the right partner. This is true. true. Now, I would say that, that, broadly speaking, and it might not be helpful at the very finite level, but the table has been set for more robust partnerships and for for more opportunities. Consumers understand and know that companies are going to benefit from their CSR activities. But close to 90% will say, I expect companies to make money from this because I get it. If they make money and are successful, that means they can do more good in the world. And so the, the notion of, of creating success and for companies to thrive and that driving for nonprofits greater results, I think, is, is wired into people's expectations around where CSR is today. The question, the question is, how do you, how do you line it up in a way that creates mutual value and, and your interests are jointly aligned? Uh, one thing I've, I've heard encouragingly lately is companies not just signing up for throwing money at a nonprofit for a year or two years and then going on to the next thing, which is a common complaint. You know, I, can't, I can't be your partner if we're not partnered, right, if we're just throwing money and, and I can't rely on this income source. And so we're seeing uh, joint commitments to capability building, capacity building, uh, longer-term relationships, fewer longer-term relationships. And I think that's something that nonprofits shouldn't be shy about and, and, and again, lay out proactively a plan to potentially get there. You, know, you, you can shape that outcome. It may, it may be just sort of a, a mindset, but let me just run this by you. I mean, is there value in corporations moving in the direction of, of – Stay with me here because it's going to sound strange at first, but sort of viewing um, nonprofits as a vendor. In other words, I'm hiring you. I'm, I'm looking for proposals and I'm putting out an RFP for nonprofit organizations that can you know, teach children in our schools, can clean our environment. We've decided that this is important to us. So just as we would go out and look for a new paper vendor because we have certain specs that we're looking for, to go out and find a nonprofit that's what, and then hold them accountable to what the, the proposal is, but that nonprofits position themselves as being answers to those questions as opposed to, I have a budget to meet and you have money. Yeah. Well, you know, I can, having worked with nonprofits, I, I can feel their pain, right, and have served on some boards and, and understand that that needs to make payroll and to, uh, to keep the lights on and, and to deliver those services, particularly if you're in direct service delivery. That pressure is, is absolutely intense. So recognizing that, I think that what you say is really interesting, and I, there are companies and there are nonprofits that are that are operating in that frame. And we have a client that basically said that to its nonprofit partner and said, "We'd love to see your ideas for what you're going to bring to the table this year, and that the money that you got last year isn't necessarily a given, but bring us your best ideas, and we're going to see you know where we're going to allocate our resources." I mean, that that's exactly what happens in the private sector, private sector, business partner to business, business partner. Business partner. Right, exactly. There would, a, be, there would be accountability yeah. standards. And yep. Yep. while you might not like it if you're a for-profit and you're a, a subcontractor to, to another company, if you're not producing to the standards that were set, don't be surprised if they rebid the contract. And yeah. I think for yeah. nonprofits to 
hold themselves equally accountable to have agreements in place so that where, where you're saying, well, I, I need to be able to rely on the money. Well, I certainly would hope that maybe contractually the company would make that kind of obligation if, in fact, they saw the measures being met. You're absolutely right. And this is the this moment, is the to, moment seize, to seize, right? right? Fortune 50, Fortune 50 uh, philanthropy, philanthropy leaders said, you know, what I've realized is, recently, what I've realized is, is we're not we're just not writing, writing checks, checks to good causes and nonprofits anymore. We are becoming, call it an activist, or we're focused on very specific outcomes that we want to see in the world. We believe they're important, so we're looking for partners who are going to help us get there. And, and that's, and that's to me the, the part that, part that, that doesn't, doesn't feel hard, hard about, about what you just described, right? That says, let us go into this mindset of being the best possible partner using their resources to drive it. Wouldn't, wouldn't that approach, if that, if that were the approach that were promoted to sort of get a nonprofit's mindset right and get funders' mindset right, doesn't that come back to the premise that you set out in the study that um, you're looking for real and meaningful impact? Because if, in fact, it's contractually based, if, in fact, you said you're going to you know, teach 500 students how to read in the second grade in this community, and two years from now the, the, the review is done, and, in fact, the program is not even up and running yet, well, then certainly you can't expect that the funding is going to continue because we agreed on what the outcomes would be. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, you I, know, think, I that think that even, even having, having conversations, conversations like this, like is, this a is a start, and I think and that, that as we've seen, seen that, that sometimes, sometimes these social issues, issues are hard, hard and that they're and messy and complex. And so what I would what hope I would, would not happen in, in the world that you're describing is that experiments or innovation or just good efforts that weren't the right, the right approach, approach, but that could that be, optimized, be optimized, don't fall, fall through, through the cracks, the cracks right? right? Uh, but, uh, but the best the of both worlds in which you're having some of these great discussions, in which you are holding are folks accountable, and there are, there are organizations that do this today. today. Robin Hood Foundation in New York is a great example of the discipline that underlies their funding is all results-driven. And so there are many other organizations and foundations that we could identify that are doing that. But it is a mindset. Yeah, in corporate America, there's certainly room provided for R&D, there's room yep. provided for um, experimentation, and so it, it, well, you, you sort of put out the, the, the premise of you know, the difference between for-profit and non-profit, and some non-profits suggesting that 501c3 is really just a tax status. Well, in fact, it is, and I've pointed out to people for, for a number of years that really the only value difference between a for-profit and a non-profit is where the profit goes. Um, yeah, yeah. Because in a, in a nonprofit, there are no shareholders, and those profits go back into the corporation. But it is nonetheless a corporation, one that needs to be successful. Just as and I think it's even harder to think in terms of a, of a for-profit that has to pay those out to shareholders and still maintain the ability to succeed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I think at the edges here of what we're talking about is where really the excitement for me in the field exists. You know, I spoke to someone out on the West Coast recently, a nonprofit, who said, gosh, we're getting startups out of Silicon Valley, for-profit startups out of Silicon Valley that are gunning for our call it business as a nonprofit. Like it's, it's mobilizing and motivating our team because these are companies or social ventures that are uh, in, a uh, in a different tax structure, but that are going to that are really going to be trying to trying to disrupt and displace us. So that, you, you know, the, no rest for the weary. I mean, the the evolution that's happening in the social impact sector is coming from all all different parts and all different forms. And, and I so think that's, that's only got to be a positive. That's good. Because yeah. I, yeah, because I think it is important to stay sharp and to not get soft. Um, because and and I think part of that, going back to my premise coming out of the break is driven by, you know, continued, you know, difficulty in the economy. Um, certainly there are signs of recovery, um, but it's not robust. It's not, you know, it's, it's not gangbusters. Um, so every dollar does count, and it, and it matters. And new markets are what for-profits and non-profits are both looking for. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And so I think so it's, I think uh, it's uh, a win-win, and there's, there's a positive aspect to all of this, which says that, you know, there might, you know, there be, might some be some organizations, organizations that realize they're not up to that competition. competition. There, there might be some that realize, wow, I've got to really get myself into the top performing tier. And there are over 40,000 military nonprofits in the U.S. today, which is an amazing number. And there are amazing needs. The question is, like, how pick an issue area like that, and you'll see there are so many organizations 
Uh, and the question is, you know, which, where are you in the pack? How are you competing versus your, your peers? And, and how can you deliver impact that is going to be relevant? To and, and, and how few, Craig, how, how few nonprofits out there even measure themselves against peers? Um, you know, they think of their own budget, but are they actually looking at best practices? Are they looking at who their peers are and comparing themselves to know whether or not they're top performing or not? Yeah. yeah, and I think and you're, you're, you're raising, raising great, great questions. questions. I have, I have a, a lot of empathy, empathy and having spent a lot of time to feel with folks, you know, that sometimes there's a lot of folks that are pinned down and, and trying to do that. And so the Internet has made this easier. There are opportunities that many of the foundations have. So if you're not asking these questions, please get in touch with, you know, folks that are providing some of these scale resources or organizations even like ours that are uh, providing services in that way. But you're absolutely right. absolutely been fascinating. I think one of the best shows we've ever had. We have to have you back on here to talk about impact even more. We've only got one minute left. How can my listeners reach you? Terrific. Thanks so much. It's been delightful. So you can reach us at Cone Communications. Our website is www.conecom.com. Craig, absolutely fantastic show. We've got to get you back soon. You're a great thinker in the sector. Everyone, don't forget to join us next week for Gail Perry here on The Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over the limit by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.